Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about the effects of an epidural on breastfeeding. Usually, when we think about epidurals, we wonder how they will affect birth, but it turns out that they can have an impact on your breastfeeding relationship as well. What do you need to know? Diane Cassidy is here to tell us the facts so you can make an informed decision. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it is super helpful if you can rate it. Rate the show on iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it. So to do that, go to birthful.com slash review. There's a video that explains how to do it because it can be a little tricky. But basically, you click on the view and iTunes link, then click on ratings and reviews. And then give us as many stars as you think we deserve. So all it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthful.com review. And I will be forever grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So today I am so happy to be talking with Diane Cassidy once again. She's the first repeat guest on the show. Way at the beginning of the year, we did a podcast on tongue ties and lip ties, which if you haven't heard it, listen to this one first and then go and check that one out. And so for those of you who don't know her, Diane is a lactation consultant in Rochester, New York with an advanced lactation certification. She works in private practice and is a busy in, an, in a busy pediatrician office. And in the fall of 2013, she completed her master's in health and wellness lactation. Diane became interested in lactation consulting after breastfeeding her own children, which includes a set of twins. She spent thousands of hours working with new mothers and babies and has the unique ability to identify with their needs and concerns. Diane also teaches prenatal breastfeeding classes and is the author of the book Emotional and Physical Trauma and Its Impact on Breastfeeding Mothers. And she goes around the world speaking to other breastfeeding professionals about how to support new families through their breastfeeding struggles. She believes that women deserve the opportunity to have the distress-free breastfeeding relationship that they desire, and I agree with her. I do too. Hi, Diane. Hi, Adriana. So glad to have you here again, Mama. I am thrilled to be here again. It was so fun the first time. So So it's so cool to be back. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm so happy. And we were just talking off air. You are writing a second book, and it's specific about... What is it specific about? It has to do with epidurals and breastfeeding, but more than that. Tell us. Yeah. So um, it is about how epidurals can impact the breastfeeding relationship um, between mom and baby and how to identify that and how to support the mom. Um, And this came about when I was doing my master's, when I was finishing my master's, like you mentioned in 2013, I was completing that and I decided to do my master's thesis on how epidurals and medicated delivery can impact breastfeeding. 
Um, and there's so much to it. There really is a lot involved and there's so much, you know, research that's been done and about the moms, about the babies, about medications and, you know, so much controversy surrounding medicated delivery that I felt like, you know, let's get to the bottom of it and see what we can learn about what happens to these moms and babies. I think when they go in for delivery, nobody ever really talks to them about, what can happen afterwards Mm -hmm. and how things might still be impacted, even though delivery might've been hours and hours and hours before, how does that still play a role into this mom and baby's relationship for breastfeeding? Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you're doing that research and putting out the book because it's something that doesn't get talked about much. Um, And yeah. And I wanted to clarify to listeners like mamas, we are not here to tell you whether to have or not to have an epidural. That is not what we're here for. We just want to give you solid evidence-based info so that you can make that informed decision and so that, but that you actually know about the ramifications of your choices because it doesn't get talked about that much. Exactly. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because when I go and I talk about this at conferences and when I talk about it with people, the biggest concern is, well, we don't want to tell these moms that they cannot how they should have their baby. They cannot have medicine or, you know, whatever the the concern might be. And that is not my focus at all in the research. My focus is strictly so that moms know what can happen with a breastfeeding baby after they deliver under a medicated birth. And also not even just mamas, but that the medical professionals, that they know what to look for and that they can see, okay, this mama had a medicated delivery and this is now what's happening with the breastfeeding. Could these two be linked? Do we need to supplement with formula or can we work with this problem instead of just going, oh yeah, that baby is just not going to latch and we just need to give a bottle. So if we know what we're looking for going in, it's a lot easier to manage. Absolutely. And it's a disservice to moms to not tell them about this because then what happens is when breastfeeding is not going well what do they do they blame themselves exactly they blame themselves they start supplementing i mean we have the epidural rate is is pretty high really all it's over 60 percent in the u.s 60 yes. that's a big number and that's just, you know, U.S. So I know there's certain pockets of places where, you know, hospitals, some hospitals, it might be only, you know, 60, 50, 60 percent for that particular hospital. But some hospitals might be 80 or 90 percent. So it's huge. And we also have a pretty high breastfeeding initiation rate. However, there is also a very high supplementing rate. So many, many, many babies are being supplemented with formula within the first two days of life. Hmm. And if we know going in the the problems that can arise after a medicated delivery, maybe we can cut down on some of that supplementation. Or at least if the mamas know, okay, I'm aware that if I get this medication, that it's possible my baby might not be as interested in latching right away. We don't need to be so concerned and say, okay, quick, let's get a bottle. The baby didn't last first thing. Right. We know what to do about it. Um, So that is really my whole focus. It is not telling people, no, you can't have the medication. It's the informed, being informed and having the best information to make a decision that works for the mom. Exactly. Exactly. No, then that's why we're here. So 
Let's talk. I wanted to first clarify a few myths about epidurals themselves um, that are often told. So just in, in again, in the spirit of giving out good information, some of the myths I wanted to bust were, first of all, the, the thought that epidurals don't affect the baby. Ah, uh, yes. That's one of my favorites because, believe it or not, and I'm sure you've heard too, that's still being tossed around out there. Um, and it absolutely, epidurals absolutely affect the baby. Um, they absolutely get to the baby very quickly, as a matter of fact, um, cross the placenta and, and get right into their system. Any medication you get during labor does. Well, that's it. Yeah. All Anything drugs does. taken by mother during labor will reach the baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is variable. It's variable depending on the dosage because mm -hmm. it's not always the same for every mother. It's not always the same for every um, nurse anesthetist or esthetician that gives the medication. Um, it is dependent on when the mother gets it as, you know, compared to when she delivers. Um, there's a lot of things that happen there. So, and that's the baby definitely does get affected by that medication. Yeah, that speaks specifically to the second myth I wanted to bust, which <laughs> is that there is a standard epidural. I know, you know, when you if you don't know about epidurals, you can think about an epidural like, oh, it's just this thing I get, and it's an epidural. But in fact, it varies by anesthetist. It varies by, and, and even like what the mom's situation might be or allergies. So the, an epidural is a mix of like local anesthetics, mm -hmm. like lidocaine and aldocanes. And, mm -hmm. and make sure I'm saying this right, right? <laughs> Bupivacaine, I think, is the most popular. Which one? Bupivacaine, mm -hmm. I think, is the most popular. And um, then an opioid. So fentanyl mm -hmm. is the big one. Fentanyl, I hear a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, fentanyl is the is the painkiller right. for that med, and then um, that's you know that's an opioid. It's a that's a drug. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a serious it's thing. It's a narcotic. It is a narcotic, and I always try to put it into perspective um, for these moms that you know when you're pregnant and you say to your doctor, "Oh, I have a headache. What can I take?" And they say nothing stronger than a Tylenol. But then when you're in labor, you can have a narcotic or morphine or, you know, fentanyl. Those are very heavy-duty narcotics. Yeah. And um, they definitely affect the baby. And so sometimes the epidural, they have, you know, they have the local anesthetic part and then they have the narcotic opioids. And sometimes they're possibly mixed also with morphine or epinephrine. And mm -hmm. those are to prolong the effect mm -hmm. um, of the epidural or to stabilize blood pressure. Right. So it is a little cocktail that you're getting, um, which may not affect, because it's do done in the epidural space, may not affect baby as quickly or as much as, say, if you get specifically direct um, IV, you know, narcotic like Nubane. Right, yes. Which has a bigger like or more direct effect, but it still, it still affects the baby. Right. Yes. And then it also affects the baby in ways that people don't consider. So, for example, it is very researched, well known. I don't think anybody disagrees with the fact that epidurals will prolong your labor. 
that prolonged labor can lead to um, more difficult positioning for the baby. It can lead to a higher risk of C-section delivery. It can lead to a higher risk of vacuum extracted delivery or forceps delivery. And those things make it very difficult for babies to breastfeed Mm -hmm. as well. Some of my biggest breastfeeding struggles with babies have been vacuum extraction deliveries. Hmm. Um, And I would love to tackle all those one by one, explaining them a little further of how, like how it affects, because they all affect a little different. Um, the but the last myth I wanted to say before we move on to that the actual effects so we can get this epidural thing out of the way <laughs> is to that you should consider also the fact that it you know sometimes the myth is once it's worth worn off in mom it's worn off in baby, um, and this is not necessarily the case because the pediatric half life of what you're getting is different than the maternal half-life. And could you explain, I mean, I could explain it, we, either one, but would, would you speak what this half-life means? And half-life, you know, half-life is the length of time that the medication is being effective, you know, in the, in the system. But obviously your adult mother who weighs however much you know pounds is going to metabolize (laughs) more than eight pounds yes is going to metabolize much differently than your brand newborn baby with a system that doesn't has never metabolized anything so um the baby is going to hold on to that medication a little bit longer Mm -hmm. absolutely it's going to take them longer to, to process that through their system so those were my three myths that I wanted to put out there. Those are good terms, ones. Yeah. In terms of what, you know, well, now that we know a little bit more about epidurals, so then tell us, how do they affect breastfeeding? So now the medication itself, um, a lot of it is, like we said, it affects a baby, can make them, it can make babies very sleepy. Um, epidurals can impact their sucking reflex. So we've, or their coordination. So we do see that babies who have been born of a medicated delivery of an epidural have a little bit of hard time getting that suck coordinated, figuring out what to do. And babies really need to figure out that suck, swallow, breathe. It's very instinctive for them to do this when they're born, but it can be hard for them to put that together. Um, so they need to really, you know, figure it out and have time to do it. And, you know, anybody who's ever breastfed a baby before knows that in the very beginning, they'll suck a couple times and they'll take a pause and they'll break and then they'll suck a few more times. And that's them, you know, learning that coordination and figuring everything out. Babies that have had an epidural sometimes struggle a little bit more with that. Um, with an epidural, mothers also receive more fluid than they normally would. So the minute a mom says, okay, I would like to have an epidural for my pain relief, they automatically start them on an IV fluid if they haven't had it yet or continue them on those IV fluids. And that is because an epidural, one of the biggest side effects is for that blood pressure to drop. Mm-hmm. So we need to you know, give them that bolus of fluid to help to keep the blood pressure stable. That increase in fluid, which will continue on as mom is receiving this epidural, that will increase the swelling that mom experiences after the baby is born. 
And a lot of that swelling gets into the breast tissue. Mm-hmm. And th- those breasts just become very hard, swollen, edematous, which makes it very hard for those babies to latch on. So sometimes we will have a baby who is latching really well in that first 24 hours, but as that swelling starts to set in and that fluid starts to build up, then as the time goes on in that second 24 hours, the baby can be struggling a lot more with trying to latch or they have a very, very shallow latch because the mom is so full. So that can be very, very difficult for these babies as well. And I'm glad you brought that up because you're even talking about, you know, two days after having this epidural and I see these moms and I, and I tell them that they have the epidural and you can see their faces as the hours pass, swell a little more and their ankles swell a little more and you hear it over and over again. The next day was worse and the day after was worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you don't think about it that you're going to like all that fluid has to is not just automatically going to come out of your system that quickly. Right. It doesn't. But then the other thing with that is that all that fluid also got to the baby yes. before delivery. So then those babies, you see a little bit of an inflated birth weight and then they drop all that fluid very quickly. So those babies look like they've lost a lot of weight in the beginning. But a lot of that is at water weight. So those babies are supplemented more because everybody's nervous that they're losing too much weight. When in actuality, when you look back or ask the mom, she received a lot of fluid. There was a medicated delivery. You know, it's a lot of Pitocin. Pitocin adds into this just as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really does, you know, make it so that that baby looks like they're losing a lot more weight. How open do you think hospitals are to taking into account that if mom had an epidural, then that, because because what is it? It's 10% of babies, 10% baby weight loss is mm-hmm. nor, within the normal range. Can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> 10% weight loss is expected or, or not expected, but normal, acceptable, quote yes. unquote, of of within the first few days. And then you want to see that weight back to birth weight within two weeks, 10 days? Yeah, usually within about two weeks. Okay. So how open are people in the hospital to taking that into account that this mom had neptural so maybe 10% is we should be a little more flexible than just 10%. I think it depends on who's working with that mom. So some from my experience of working in hospital when I did work in patient um if the baby was feeding well and pooping and peeing and, you know, we knew mom was starting to get fuller and her milk was starting to turn over and starting to come in, then we would not be as concerned. You know, we know that that's going to turn itself around on its own. If it's a baby that wasn't latching well because of all those other, you know, the coordination and the sucking and all of those things that we talked about and not really having very good output and, you know, not stimulating the mother's breast well because they're not feeding well, which is going to cause its own set of problems, then we're going to be, they're going to be more concerned about 
what is happening with that baby because they're going to probably lose more weight. A lot of it ends up going back to the pediatrician. Mm -hmm. So if the baby starts to lose more or gets right hovering right around that 10% mark, usually a call goes into the pediatrician saying, okay, this, you know, baby Jones has lost, you know, close to 10%. What do you want to do? So depending on the pediatrician, some say I'll see them in my office in the morning and we'll go from there. Um, jaundice plays a role in that too. If they're, how's the jaundice level? Is the jaundice level too high? If that's the case, and that we'll start supplementing as well. Um, if it's a pediatrician that's not comfortable with weight loss, they might say supplement right away. So a lot of that depends. So moms, this is where it really is important that they know what can happen and that they have a conversation with their pediatrician from the very start. What is your stance on supplementing? How do you feel about that? And what are the situations that we would need to supplement this baby? Mm-hmm. Um, to some moms are, you know, get kind of side, really side, what is the word I'm looking for here? It's blindsided. There you go. Thank you. Um, really get blindsided by that and that they feel awful that they feel like they can't provide for their baby and it's, it has nothing to do with them at all. And when you've just given birth and they're the, the experts are telling you, no, this baby is losing too much weight. Even if you know the facts, it's hard to like keep your confidence and say, oh, wait, let's look at the big picture. You just gave birth. You are still in a little bit of a lull. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it really, it is hard. It is hard to try to take it all in and, you know, accept it all and, and try to keep going. You know, having the information is really important. Mm-hmm. But so, so far, what we've talked about is the... You know, know that it can make your baby sleepy. So coordinating of suck might impact how how effective baby is in latching. Mm-hmm. That the fluid will swell your breasts, especially in the 24 hours afterwards. It'll keep happening. So it might be harder for baby to latch on or that latch might be shallow. So that can also create problems in terms of rubbing and cracking and... Affecting Pain, your nipples. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then that there might be inflated baby weight because it's water weight that then may cause concern that there's been too much loss and call for supplementation. Yes. Okay. So quick review. So moms that are listening, get these. I'm taking notes. So I'm taking notes <laughs> for you. <laughs> Good. Um. Okay. So what are we had talked about? Um. A little bit about, you mentioned forceps, higher instrumental delivery, um, the cascade of interventions. Talk more about those those elements. Okay, so the cascade of, infer- of um, interventions, you know, when you get that epidural, sometimes it can stall your labor, which might lead to Pitocin. Um, Pitocin can cause inflammation in your system, which is going to cause that swelling to hang around a little bit longer than it probably would if you did not have the Pitocin. Um, Pitocin also blocks your body's natural oxytocin, which oxytocin, we know, is a huge, huge benefit um, to these contractions and giving birth and mother and baby bonding and all of that stuff. So um, when that is blocked by Pitocin, that can also make that breastfeeding piece a little bit more difficult and that bonding piece a little bit more difficult. Um, 
one of the other side effects of an epidural, because there are a few, and I know sometimes people say, oh, it's, you know, they're not, it's not terrible. You might, your blood pressure might go down, but we'll deal with that. Um, you might develop a fever. Fever is a very common side effect of an epidural. Yes. But you do not, there is no way of knowing is that fever a side effect of the epidural or is that fever a infection that's brewing in the mom. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that will cause mother-baby separation. You know, that is one of the main reasons why moms and babies get separated um, after delivery is because they need to check the baby. They need to do a workup on the baby to make sure that the baby has not contracted an infection from the mother during labor. Right. So, of course, that separation will cause less breastfeeding time. That separation will also cause less skin-to-skin time, which will also cause, you know, problems with blood sugar or problems with or potentially because we know that skin-to-skin will help to regulate blood sugar. It will help to regulate their body temperature. It will help to regulate their breathing. And all of those things are reasons why moms and babies can get separated after delivery. So that skin-to-skin time is really important. Um, And of course, if moms, you know, end up delayed or having a a longer labor, we have end up with a C-section or we end up with a vacuum extraction or forceps delivery, those things can impact the breastfeeding. So I know at least here where we are, you don't see as much vacuum extraction and forceps delivery as they used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you know, your podcast goes all over the world. So it might be more apparent in other in other parts of the country and other parts of the world Uh, but that really can wreak havoc on breastfeeding and it's just you know the swelling in their head from the vacuum pain from the forceps um it can really cause some you know some jaw tightness it can cause um, increased risk of jaundice with the um with the vacuum because of the bruising on the head. And of course that separation from mom and baby, which is going to cause problems for breastfeeding as well. Um, positioning can be difficult, not just for baby because babies might be sore, have some soreness on their head, some soreness on their face, on their, you know, on their neck. And all of that is connected, you know, the jaw muscles, the neck muscles, everything is connected there. So if they have some trauma to their head, that can also impact their ability to suck and swallow comfortably. Um, the And for moms too, because yes. they might have more pain in their perineum, which exactly. makes it harder for them to sit. Yes. And I was just about uh, that. going to come out of my mouth too, because women that have those the deliveries, the instrument deliveries, um, the chance of a more intensive repair are mm-hmm. likely. Um, that's a harder delivery. So trying to find a position for them to be comfortable in to, you know, sit up to breastfeed in the early days might be a challenge. Yeah. And you mentioned um, also the fact of, like, I'm so glad you brought up the fever because even though it's a very common side effect of a of an epidural to have a fever, especially if it's an epidural that's that you've had for a long time, that they have to immediately consider it as a possible infection. Mm-hmm. And then you get the separation, you get the possibility of antibiotics, which then affect the microbiome. 
you know, the separation, it can be sort of a tangential effects of the epidural mm-hmm. where it's not so immediate of like, oh, you had the epidural and, you know, your breast starts more swollen. But it's it's like point A to B to C to D to then exactly. two weeks out. Two weeks out. And then, of course, what does those antibiotics, what could that lead to? Thrush. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you've got a mom a week or two out or a baby a week or two out that is dealing with a thrush, thrush infection that came about from antibiotics that we received at delivery. So there is, there's a lot of hands there, you know, a lot of, a lot of different things that can lead back to that epidural. Yeah. Yeah. And even the, the epidural itself, we know that it can prolong second stage, so the pushing stage, because you can't quite feel, you can't quite move, so it takes a longer time, which brings the instrumental delivery rate up. Mm-hmm. And also, a side effect of an epidural can be fetal distress. Exactly. heartbeat going down. Yes. And, of course, some of that, too, is, you know, the false reads on the monitor, mm-hmm. which are... Um, you're constantly being monitored on the epidural. So that can, you can see those false reads, but you know, babies need to move into a a good birthing position and they need gravity to do that. And when you have an epidural, you're laying flat on your back. Sometimes you can move from side to side. um, But for the majority of the time, you are not upright so that the baby can get into a good birthing position. And now you are, not feeling much of anything at all and you think you know moms go oh this is great I was having these awful contractions and now I don't feel anything and this is wonderful I can get some rest but that baby is still feeling every contraction coming through every one of them and it's harder for them to get into a good position where they can get into the birth canal and move down because of the position that mom is in at that time so it is harder for the mom which that's one of the reasons why it takes longer why it extends that, you know, that phase of labor because the babies can't move as efficiently. And then if they can't move as efficiently, you hear those stories of, yeah, you know, we ended up with a C-section because, you know, the baby was kind of not in a position where they could get through the birth canal. Um, they were a little off to the side, so they weren't able to get through. Um, right. Babies you- taking longer or posterior positions that never turn because, you know, they just couldn't couldn't make that happen. And then they're getting hit with all those contractions that they mm-hmm. can't tolerate. Or they're lying on the cord and then you have to be on the other side. But then that other side, your epidural is not working so well. So it's kind of not happy for baby or not happy for you. And then there's a the fetal distress. So people get worried that we need to get this baby out quickly. And mm-hmm. it just adds a lot of anxiety. It does add a lot of anxiety. It adds a lot of anxiety. So what I like to try to tell my mom's is, you know, just how we said in the beginning, this is not like a, you know, a bandwagon to say, okay, nobody should ever get medication ever again. Mm -hmm. That's really not what it's about. And, um, we know that medicated or at least, you know, epidural deliveries came about because this way moms could have an active voice in their labor and delivery. They can be awake and aware and have their baby with them right away. You know, most of the time when everything goes well, and, you know, we, we want that to happen. We want moms to be able to make these decisions. But as long as she knows, okay, there might be a little bit more 
it might be a little bit more of a challenge to get this baby breastfeeding well. Mm -hmm. There might be slower going up from birth weight. It might be a little bit more pain. There might be some, you know, need you, you might need a little bit more assistance from a lactation consultant that can help you because the baby is taking a little bit longer to figure it out. There might be some pumping happening right away to supplement the baby with. There are, you know, things that might happen. The baby might not latch right away or they might latch great in that first time, but then they might not latch as well after that. And then what do we do about that? You know, how do we help the mom and baby? But if mom knows it's going in, then she won't panic. She hopefully won't blame herself. She won't get nervous about it. She'll, you know, know, okay, I know that I made that decision to get that epidural, I know that this potentially could be a side effect. I can work with that. Mm-hmm. And if the medical personnel, if the nurse that's working with her recognizes, okay, those breast tissues get getting swollen, maybe we need to try to figure out something we can do to help this baby latch a little bit easier so mom's comfortable. Um, and that's a direct impact from all the fluids that were received during labor. So often I get moms that say to me, oh yeah, I've got a nipple shield because the baby won't latch. And they said it's because my nipples are too small or too short or too flat or, you know, whatever it is. And it doesn't have anything to do with that at all. It's a baby that's struggling to make everything work. Mm -hmm. And maybe the fluids in your breasts that are making Mm -hmm. that nipple not as, not be able to go as far in. Yes. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit more about those things of preparations of the, if moms are considering, I would really like an epidural. What are tools that I can have in my bag in case that happens to help counterbalance the effects of the epidural breastfeeding? And you did mention some just now. Can we go deeper into that? Sure. So like I mentioned, um, if the baby is not latching well at all. So if the baby is not latching well at all in the hospital because of coordination, if the mom's having pain because of swelling, it's really important. Obviously we need to feed the baby. So I think moms need to have it in their head, need to know from the start what their comfort level is in case the hospital comes to them or their pediatrician comes to them and says, look, we need to supplement. So what is their comfort level with that? Do they want to supplement with formula or do they want to be able to supplement with their own breast milk? Um, We know that that milk takes about three days or so to come in to really start, you know, coming in. And we know that moms don't need anything other than that before that couple of days. So colostrum is all we're expecting this baby to get in those first two days of life Colostrum is not an easy thing to pump. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very thick. Um, it just doesn't pump well. So moms should know how to hand express. Yes. So hand expression is really important. Um, and if baby is not feeding well in those first, you know, first few couple hours, first couple days of life, to be able to hand express a few drops of colostrum to feed to the baby could make all the difference in the world between that and supplementing. Yeah. One of the things I carry in my birth bag is um, that carry teaspoons. Oh, fantastic. Because of, especially if there's separation and mm. mom can't get to baby and baby can't come back to mom, you can always get that teaspoon yes. from mom to baby. Yeah, I like syringes too. I think yeah. syringes are good for that. Um, so yeah, teaspoons are great. Syringes, anything, you know, that can that can get this colostrum back to mom. 
or back to baby. I'm sorry, from mom to baby. Mm-hmm. And remember that baby. So what's the size of a newborn stomach? Oh my gosh, five yeah. milliliters. Which is like half a teaspoon, right? It's like a, yeah, teaspoon, one teaspoon. So I always say if you, if you cook or you bake, next time you pick up a teaspoon, look at how small that is. It is so small. And it's just that those babies do not need more than that in that first 24 hours of life at all. Really, their first 48 hours of life. It's they marble don't need anything size. more than that. Yes, tiny, tiny, tiny. Very cool. So, so hand expressing is a good tool. Skin to skin, you mentioned. Tons of skin to skin. Yes, that helps so much. It helps to calm mom. It helps to calm baby. It helps to bring that milk in. Um, and then the baby's right there, you know, if they want to feed, if they want to try to feed and babies that are difficult, you know, having difficulty coordinating, we want them right there to try as often as possible. We do. We want that baby to be kept with mom if, you know, under any, you know, on, under all circumstances, if we can, if the baby is skin to skin with mom, they can try to feed regularly, which will help with swelling, which will help with their coordination, and help with, you know, less supplementing. But if baby gets separated from mom because of blood sugar, because of temperature, because of, you know, any of those things, mom isn't going to be able to read those cues. Baby isn't going to be able to feed on demand. Mm-hmm. So keep them close. Keep them close. Keep yeah. Them, keep them on. Yeah. Yes. Um, and really, you know, feed as much as possible. Let them try, let them, you know, suck on your finger, let them try to, you know, feed regularly, keeping them going every couple hours, um, watching the, you know, for the wet and dirty diapers and just not panicking, really not panicking and knowing, okay, we don't need to give a bottle right away. We can work with this. Mm -hmm. The not, not panicking is good for everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I always try to say to my work. We can fix this, you know. Breastfeeding's resilient. It's more resilient than people realize. So it's, you know, you just got to be able to not panic and know, okay, we're going to get this breast milk from mom into baby and we're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And also know that, you know, all these, thing, these things that we talked about um, are also good tools in case you have a cesarean or in case you have nubane or yes. in case you have pitocin you know some of these effects overlap so there will be similar issues your tools are the same yes your tools are the same and it's you know that skin to skin knowing how to hand express you know being comfortable with your decisions every woman knows where their where their end point is you know and I always tell moms it's you know it's good to know that what your pain level is like, how much you can endure, how much you can cope with. And if you're one of those that says, you know what, I know that I'm going to want medication when I'm in in labor because I know that about myself and I know that that's how I cope best, then just know that these little things can happen. And that's all. It's not like trying to scare anybody off. It's more of let's know that this can happen and how we, we deal with it. Um, one of the other things that I want to mention real quick too, we talked about a lot of this stuff for the baby for moms, but a lot of people don't realize that once they sign up for this epidural, then they no longer can be mobile. They no longer can get up and go to the bathroom. They now have a catheter. They have to be continuously monitored. Um, the recovery can be a little bit more difficult, you know, so it's, it's not, 
just a simple walk in a park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we also, one of the things we didn't go into um, was the effects that these, um, the, the effects of breast, of epidurals and breastfeeding and the, and the consequences can have on uh, the, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? For the milk imp- output, like your, yes. your supply. There we go. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Um, and like I was saying, when we first started, there's so many things that can go on with this. So if that baby is not able to get on, we, you know, we need those first few days to get things started. And to tell your body, we need this milk, let's go, the baby's born and, you know, get that stimulation going. And if the baby's not able to get on and stimulate the breast the way we need them to, that is going to be a difficult start for mom and baby that can delay milk coming in. The fluid, the extensive amounts of fluid can delay milk coming in. Um, It's just, it can be really difficult. And I have, I have worked with women where there should be no reason at all why the supply isn't there. And when I ask about how the baby was born, what happened, you know, in the history, it usually comes from a very difficult, complicated, traumatic experience of a delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that reminds me of what Diane Weisinger always says. Um, she's a lactation, fabulous lactation consultant. She is, yeah. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, and she always, you know, from a lactation consultant point of view, when looking what can make breastfeeding go well, she says, it's the birth dummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And people, I, I always go, I'm like, well, tell me how the baby is born. And people are like, oh, okay. Like, I'm getting off topic. But that tells the whole story. It tells everything. Because it tells you about how it started. Mm-hmm. Tells me if they say, yeah, it was you know, this was, this happened. I was, you know, had a long induction, which led to Pitocin, which led to an epidural. And then the baby was, you know, vacuum extracted. Um, that tells me why that baby's not feeding well. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, to recap, we had skin to skin. We had learn to hand express in advance have your little teaspoon or your syringe yeah. just in case. Um, get a lot of support and patience and calm and maybe even probiotics if you had antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe even like a chiropractic adjustment or a cranial sacral. That is definitely, I mean, I end up recommending that because, you know, when you get those babies that latch well and are comfortable on one side and not on the other you know you probably had that mom that said yeah I think the baby's feeding pretty good um it really hurts awful on my left side or it really my nipples are really cracking on the right side but the other side is fine that tells me that that is something in the way the baby is holding their head holding their neck some stiffness there some mobility in the jaw something that is making the baby uncomfortable And the mom always says to me, oh, it's probably something I'm doing with the latch. Maybe I'm more comfortable holding the baby because I'm right-handed or I'm left-handed. We always want to blame ourselves as mamas. Mm -hmm. Always want to blame ourselves. But it's it's not your fault. It's just the way things are. And we just need to tweak positioning and tweak how we're going to, you know, hold the baby and fix it. And if you have somebody that can recognize what's going on there and gets a full picture of everything and recognizes that we can get you in a comfortable position so that the baby's feeding efficiently. But we also want to get that baby treated so that they're comfortable too. 
Mm-hmm. And that their neck is not bothering them anymore. Exactly, or leading to torticollis or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Diane, if the mamas want to get in touch with you, follow what you're doing, how can they do that? They can get me on Facebook. So it's Diane Cassidy Consulting. It's D-I-A-N-N-E Cassidy Consulting. And same with my website. Fantastic. And then all my you know, my phone number is my email is all on there as well. You're easy to find. I am easy to find. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge with us and all this good facts. And I look forward to your book getting finished. Oh, and- <laughs> me too. Let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was lovely. I'd love to be here with you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.